Curtin Cade mornings, not just on the radio. It's a podcast, too. You may not even realize this, but right now we are experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. We're talking uh, even bigger than the First and Second Great Awakening and every revival in our country combined. But here's the deal. It's upside down in the opposite direction. Yes, absolutely. And Michael Graham co-authored a book, The Great Dechurching, and he has some amazing insight into why people are leaving. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? Hey, Michael, welcome. It's great to have you on board. It's so good to be with you guys this morning. Wow. All right. Thank you for the time. I've been yeah. uh, so looking forward to this conversation. Tell us more about the study itself so we know what pool of people were studied and we can kind of get a handle on that so we know where we're headed. Yeah, so without getting too nerdy and too in the weeds, um, we conducted a three-phase study with about 7,000 people um, uh, with sociologists Ryan Burge, um, who's probably the best religion data person in the country. Um, he's an academic in the Midwest. And Dr. Paul Jupe, um, uh, whose expertise is in uh, survey study design. And so both of them are um, just top, top shelf social scientists um, whose focus is on um, dat- the intersection of religion data in the United States. So we wanted to do a study that was of academic quality that could be cited you know, not just in uh, evangelical circles, but also um, in major, you know, uh, major uh, elite journalistic outlets, as well as in academia. So we conducted that study over the course of 2022. We wanted to do that after the pandemic so that we had a good sense of what is going on in the church landscape and uh, the religious landscape post-COVID and um, post all of the, some of the more contentious conversations that have occurred um, within America and within within Christianity and especially within evangelicalism. What types of categories of the de-churched did you outline there? You know, you've got several categories. Explain what they are and how you yeah. handled all that. Yeah, so of the 40 million U.S. adults who used to go to church at least once a month, now who don't go at all um, throughout the year, less than once per year, um, 15 of those 40 million left evangelical churches. The other 20 million were Roman Catholic and mainline Protestant. But the of the 15 million evangelicals who left um, houses of worship, we developed four different profiles and... Um, this isn't us creating this. Um, we used a machine learning algorithm to, that basically puts together clusters of people who have really common answer choices on things like demographics, when they left, why they left, their willingness to return, what their beliefs are um, as it pertains to you know the very basics of the faith. So the Trinity, the divinity of Jesus, um, Jesus's sacrificial death, his resurrection, reliability of the Bible, those different kinds of things. So each of these clusters in, involves people who have very similar, you know, answers for those different kinds of things, as well as had very similar reasons of why they might be willing to return. So of the 15 million people who left, the four main groups are cultural Christians, which is about 8 million people who left about a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, and they did not have a whole lot of understanding of the basics of the faith. Only 1% of this group um, uh, would say, would agree with the statement that Jesus is the Son of God. Mm. Um, However, 
half of these people are willing to return to an evangelical church today, and most of the reasons of why they'd be willing to return are relational in nature. Um, the second group that we looked at were what we called mainstream evangelicals. They left very recently, basically in the last three or four years. And this group, um, they look very, very much like they are in the faith. They take their faith seriously. It's just they got out of the habit of going to church. So 98% of this group would say that Jesus is the Son of God. 100% of this group is willing to return to an evangelical church today. They want to They want to return. They believe they're going to return. It's just they've gotten out of the habit. Mm-hmm. The third group that we looked at was a group that we labeled exvangelicals, and the reason why is zero percent of this group is willing to return to an evangelical church. However, what's interesting is about four and five of them, about eighty percent, are willing to return to a Christian church of some sort that isn't evangelical. Mm, and ninety-seven ninety-seven percent said that they still believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, this group was definitely struggling in terms of its relationship to culture and society in general and American institutions in general. And church just happens to be one of those, you know, one of those categories of which um, is just an institution that they, that, they, that they also have a strained relationship with. And then the fourth and final group, and bear in mind the third, fourth, third, the second, third, and fourth groups are all about two to two and a half million people each. So this fourth group about two million, two and a half million people. We call this the BIPOC group. That's just an acronym that stands for Black, Indigenous, and Persons of Color. So one of the things that we didn't allow our algorithm to sort on was race or ethnicity. Hmm. And so hmm. when it developed these clusters, it didn't have the benefit of knowing you know, what race or ethnicity any of the participants were. However, what's interesting is that the, you know, the first group was 98% white, the second group was 91% white, the third group was 82% white, but this final group was 0% white, and it didn't have the ability to sort on those things. So that was, that was interesting. Certainly, you know, even though you know, race is a biological fiction, it is a sociological reality. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, you know, how people experience America can, can really, de- you know, differ and depend on those things, even though there's only one human race. So what's interesting about this particular group is they had the highest income and the highest education of any of the groups. And this group was uh, predominantly male and predominantly African-American. So over half of this group was extremely upwardly mobile um, African-American men. And so um, the the third group and the fourth group um, had more pain that was in their mm-hmm. – and more strain in their relationship with evangelical churches than yeah. the first two groups. Um, the BIPOC group did not have as much pain as the ex-evangelical group, but there was definitely – you know, strain that was there. And the BIPOC group left much earlier. They left in the late 90s, whereas the ex-evangelicals, um, on average, left in the in the mid-aughts. When you talk and about so, pain, that's, that's church hurt, right? Yeah, things like church hurt. So, you know, some of the pain points would be interpersonal and individual, and some of the pain points would be more institutional. So when we're talking about individual pain points that could be a strained relationship with your parent who, you know who was you know who was churched and had a high value for church or it could be oh well i was connected to a church but the people who were there well they didn't exercise a whole lot of relational wisdom in terms of how they related to me or 
if we're talking on the institutional side of things, those third and fourth groups um, really struggled with things like racism, misogyny, um, political syncretism, uh, clergy scandal, or clergy abuse. Political syncretism is when um, when you reach a place where you're not sure where religion and politics start oh, and stop, yeah. and yep. sometimes yes. you know yes. they can be a little a little confused with each other. And so I think that some you know there, there's ways in which that can happen on the political left. There's way that the, ways that that can happen on a political right. It's not necessarily you know the, it's one one direction or the other. Right. Among the de-churched, how did you differentiate between attenders and members? So we just asked them, you know, whether they were you know, attending or if they were members at, you know, at a church. Most people, um, most churches don't have a very high value for membership um, in, in America. And so most people are not members of a local church. Um, it's only a handful of denominations that really kind of take church membership, um, the, the formality of that, more seriously. You know, a phenomenon that we referred to a few minutes ago um, that I want to ask you about in regard to your information, your research, this whole idea of Christians deconstructing their faith. And there are some prominent evangelical Christians who are calling themselves ex-evangelical, as you mentioned that category. But um, there's some that are deconstructing their faith and, and just t- basically tearing it uh, down piece by piece by piece. And are you seeing any of that in your research? I know it's just kind of a buzzword that's out there. Maybe it's just trendy. What did you see? Yeah, so I want to take that, that technical term deconstruction, and I want to unpack it a little bit. You know, sometimes the value of a technical term is in how how clear it is defined. And if you use that technical term, will most of the people in the room kind of understand it the same way? And the challenge with the term deconstruction is that I think that the it, it can be unhelpfully broad in terms of how different people use it. In other words, you use that term in a room of, you know, uh, of 10 different evangelicals, and you probably have at least three different definitions that might come from that. Yes. Let me unpack that for a minute. Yeah. So um, here's, the, here, here's how I kind of think about that term. I think about it in, in two ways. There are people who are deconstructing where maybe what would be more accurate to describe it is they are disenculturating or disentangling. Say, take for example, um, you know, there was one of the the Duggar girls, and she wrote a book, um, I think it was Ginger, um, with the new last name, Vuolo, and she, she talked about this as being disentangling. She had to figure out where is, where was the subculture of kind of her, the kind of particular stream that her family was in, what percentage of, you know, what parts of her faith were just subculture and what parts were actually the Jesus of God's word. And so I think that the, that's a good process to go about in terms of kind of disenculturating. In other words, um, figuring out what is the actual Jesus that is found in the Bible, what is the kingdom of God, and what are other things that have been kind of added on to that that are more subculture that aren't things that really you know, are going to be there in terms of the continuity of the kingdom of God. Yeah. 
And so that's disenculturation. So let's say you grew up in a tradition where um, the, the church that you were connected to or the tradition you were connected to had become culturally captive in some way. You know, let's say that was culturally captive in one way, in one direction or the other politically. And where, you know, you, your faith had been had become uncomfortably connected with one political party or the other in a way that had become compromised. Well, it's probably good to disentangle and disenculturate some of those things so that you can get to having our citizenship as adopted children in God's family, have that be have that have the primacy and reign supreme in our hearts. That's a good process. However, then you have, you know, a number of people who are online um, who who aren't, that's not what they're doing, and that's not the project that they're on. The project that they're on is more taking core doctrines of the faith and really kind of questioning them and where the judgment there, in terms of by what standard, is really just kind of their either their own standard or the standard of maybe a new community or a new tribe that they're looking to have their approval from. And so that is, you know, that's another way that we might understand that term deconstruction, mm-hmm. where core, core elements of our faith are being abandoned to the place where we're not really sure ultimately whether that person is still in the faith or not, or in many, in you know, many people who are you know kind of going down that path, will are very clear that hey, I'm actually no longer in the faith at all, and I'm going to encourage other people to follow this path because I think it's a good path because you know Christianity or evangelicalism is e- evil or toxic or emotionally unhealthy or you know any number of things. Now. I disagree with that, and I think that, that that is problematic, and it's problematic, you know, for the same reason for the Brett Hansen, you know, uh, clip that you, that you guys already played here, you know. Obviously, you know, Brett was kind of quoting from, you know, John chapter 6, and, you know, I'm, I'm just going to read that passage from, from the Bible, because it's like, I, I've experienced tremendous church hurt in my life. You know, I was a pastor for 15 years, um, and I still, you know, I still do full-time ministry work, um, working for the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. Um, and I have so many different reasons why, you know, you know, people who have hurt me or, you know, acted very badly or very maliciously, um, you know, or done really hard things. But I go back to John 6, 66 to 68, where, um, where it says in the text, after this, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer walked with him. Yeah. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So nobody else has the words of life. I mean, where else, where else am I going to go? There's, there's no other story that makes sense of you know, all of creation. And there's no other thing that's bringing redemption to all of creation, let alone my, you know, let alone my sin. And so, you know, who else do we have? So I have my concerns about those who are deconstructing in the sense that who are questioning core doctrines. However, um, as somebody who grew up maybe in the not 
not the most healthiest churches. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go through my own process to going back to the text of God's word and kind of sorting out the difference between, you know, what is God's word actually saying and what are all these kind of man-made layers of subculture that have kind of been placed on top of that. Thank you for taking some time to listen to this episode of the Curtain Cape Mornings podcast. We always welcome a review with your thoughts and comments, and please feel free to subscribe and follow us as well. Well, first of all, the pandemic, what impact has that had? We know a lot of folks um, were attending church online for obvious reasons, and then there's always this discussion, have we bounced back to 2019 levels of church attendance? Where are we at with that, and how did the pandemic uh, really impact the whole de-churching thing? Yeah, the pandemic probably exacerbated a a phenomenon that had been going on for almost 30 years. So it's not necessarily clear. I think we're still in that post-pandemic phase of where will the pendulum ultimately settle after it. Um, Certainly certain parts of the country were more impacted than others in terms of the restrictions and how long people got out of the habit. So obviously, you know, it only takes 30 days to kind of set a new habit. So where certain parts of the country, you know, certain churches were out of, you know, out of being able to meet for as many as six, 12, or even more months than that, um, that hasn't been kind of our story here in Florida. But all of those things kind of play into how pronounced the the COVID impact that was there. Um, our um, Ryan has maybe he has he has stronger feelings about this. Um, he thinks that COVID has not been as impactful, maybe as what Jim does. And I'm kind of in between the two of them in terms of its impact. So I think it was certainly one more you know one more reason for people who were dechurching casually. Um, to just kind of get out of the habit or yeah. to to switch from um, being, you know, in person to online. But we're not a big fan of doing church online because, you know, when you think about the 59 one another's in the New Testament, over half of them, you have to be in person in order to be able to exercise, mm, you know, th- those different kinds of one another. And it's important that we be connected to the sacraments that are in the church, Um you know, at a minimum, the you know, the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. And so you can't do those things um, in the, in, I think, in the way that they were intended if you're just doing church online. Now, what about some of the de-churched and where they are when it comes to spiritual maturity? I think there's some interesting findings uh, in your study regarding this. Yeah, so it varies widely depending on the particular, uh, the particular, profile that I kind of outlined already. Um, and we go in much greater detail in, you know, the actual great de-churching book, uh, on that. So you'll want to read that. Um, but the, it, I would say that probably of the 15 million people who left the, when you look at just, just from a belief standpoint, it really only looks like about 5 million of them actually understand the core tenets of the faith. Um, and when I say that, I really kind of mean Nicene Creed level Christianity. Um, so I would say that 10 million of those people uh, look very shallow in terms of their spiritual maturity because I don't really think that they're Christians. Um, the 5 million who do look like they're in the faith do look like they're probably more serious about their faith than maybe we would have, would have associated with somebody who didn't go to church. Um, However, the longer somebody is out of the habit of going to church 
on a monthly basis or more, the more that their faith begins to erode over time. And that's only logical. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, in short, <laughs> it's complex. Yes. Now, what about the hope that we have here? We're laying out the results, the research. All of this is very helpful. It's interesting. It's fascinating. But where do we go from this point on, you know? I mean, and I, we have a lot of pastors who are listening to the show. They listen to the show and a lot of folks involved in uh, the local church in terms of full-time vocational ministry. And they're like, well, what's going to happen with the local church with this de-churching? I know, again, get the book because you go, you go <laughs> into this in depth. But uh, let's talk about the hope that we have in light of what you've laid out for us. Well, the single big, biggest piece of hope that you know that Jim and I and and Ryan have is basically the that over half the people who left are willing to return today. So we were not expecting to see that high percentage of people who are willing to return to church, and it kind of looks like most of the people who left. Well, most of them left very casually. You know, the top three reasons why people left were number one, I moved. Number two, attendance was inconvenient. And number three, there was some kind of family change, a divorce, a marriage, a remarriage, the birth of a child, these different kinds of things. Well, if it's really kind of boring reasons like some of those kind of pedestrian, you know, things that I just mentioned of, that got people out of the habit, well, many of those people, if we just take some initiative in their life and encourage them to, hey, why don't you come back to church with me, you know, um, and, you know, come with me. Uh, many people will be willing to do that. We have heard so many stories of people who have, you know, read the book, been inspired by what's there, and just taken just little bits of relational risk. Yeah, one of the things I want to, I just want to tell any, if you're listening to this, when, when we went into this process, we kind of thought that, you know, maybe if we invited somebody to church, maybe that was a relationship ending potentially conversation. And what we found is, by and large, this is not a relationship ending conversation, and it's a risk worth taking. Yes. So, That's awesome. so we just want to encourage people, you know, to have, you know, half the people who have left are willing to return right now. Even people who have been out of the habit for over 25 years, willing to return today. So uh -huh. that's kind of crazy when you think about it. So there's just a lot of hope in that. And I think as the, the two, the, the three biggest things that I want to say is one, when somebody moves, it's an emergency. Help your friends, or if you're a pastor, have a system or a process for when somebody moves, whether they're coming to the city, you know, on the arrival side or they're departing on the departing side. Uh, have a plan for when people move. And, you know, if you're, a, if you're a realtor or you're in education, you know, you're a frontline worker on this kind of dechurching phenomenon. Look after people as they're, you know, kind of making those, making those transitions. And then on the individual, I want to say something to on the individual front and on the institutional front. Um, when it comes to individuals, we have a whole chapter on this. You know, so much of you know how we do better here is just in exercising relational wisdom. And so, you know, we talk about God awareness, mm -hmm. self awareness, others yes. awareness, yes. awareness of how other people are experiencing you, cultural awareness, and emotional awareness. You know, in the book, this is good stuff. And Michael, what's the final point here? You know, if you're a pastor, l let's let's be constantly improving and try to build churches that emphasize the truth, goodness, and beauty of the gospel at the same time. 
Thanks for listening to Curtain Cape Mornings Podcast. Please take a minute to follow, subscribe, and review us. And no matter where in the world you are, you can listen to us live from 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays on the Moody Radio app.